And so there's just not a lot pulling you into the movie. And then all of a sudden you're, dude, you, you catch the ski lift and this thing starts going. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks, and here at Cinenation, we spend each month discussing film genres and the tropes and stories within them. I don't have Thomas with me today for this episode, but I have an old friend joining me to talk about one of his favorite movies, I think, in, in this genre, and that's co-creator and one of the original hosts of Cinenation podcast, Mr. Ben Gertz. Ben, welcome. Wow, what an intro! Yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, it's like coming back home. It's great. I know. It feels cozy, very, very cozy. Yeah, some stuff has changed, but yeah. still, still much the same. You look just as beautiful as always, Brandon. You sound lovely. Thank you. I have a beard now. Like we switched. I have yeah. the beard. You don't have the beard. Yeah, people at home are startled by my lack of beardom. Well, yeah, it's crazy. Are you currently in Oregon right now? Is I that am, where you're at? I not everything has changed. There is still okay. a pandemic lockdown, and I I stay in this house. Well, I, I'm happy to have you here. Thank you, Brandon. So, uh, on our last episode, we laid some of the foundation for the spy genre, and we talked about the early days of the genre with Alfred Hitchcock's films, and talked about uh, how that in this genre compared to other genres, like it's very heavily affected by what's going on in the world. Like if war is happening with the Cold War or with World War II or with post 9-11. Um, we also talked about some of the tropes and the themes that are present within the genre, like spy romance, complications with trust, betrayal, paranoia, and several other topics. And uh, a number of those will come into play with today's episode on Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation, starring the always magnificent Gene Hackman, and we're going to be going in detail with the film today. So if you haven't seen it, it's currently available to stream on Prime and Canopy or wherever you get your movies from. Ben, this was the movie that brought you out of hiatus for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, why did you want to talk about this movie? Yeah, I mean, you you sent me the list. Um, and, you know, I think you guys covered this in the last episode, right? I mean, the the first things that come to mind for spy genre, I think for a lot of Americans probably is just James Bond and Mission Impossible and these like massive, you know, action, crazy set piece sort of things. And I, I saw the conversation years and years ago and primarily because I'm a huge Walter Murch. I yeah. mean, come on. He's like a philosopher yeah. king editor sound world eyes. I mean, there's there's like phrases and and things that have been coined that people are like, oh, yeah, this is just how we make movies now. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of some of, you know, his techniques around sound design in particular. And this movie has some of that greatness. I mean, it's a strange it's a pretty unique film within mm -hmm. the genre because it. It has the hallmarks that you guys were talking about, right? Of betrayal and yeah. who's who is doing what? What what's happening? Yeah. Who is in charge? Is who's yeah, being yeah. turned on who? But yeah. it's all centered literally around, I mean, the name says it, a conversation that's yeah, yeah. played over and over. And so the construction of the film is fascinating, starting with the opening shot. I yeah. mean, I think the opening shot is iconic. Once you've seen it, it's it's really an incredible, um, you know, that first 
first five or 10 minutes is a great setup because there's not some like ticking time bomb. There's not some like, you know, your message will self-destruct. There's none of that. Yeah. It's a perfect introduction to the world and also to the character of Harry Call, who's played by, or who's played by Gene Hackman. I heard, I think I heard Copeland, someone said this, where it's like the conversation is like focusing on a character that's usually like a side character in a regular spy movie. Totally, totally. It's like the guy, it's the person who's in the bus listening to what's happening that's only gets like maybe 10 minutes of screen time. At, at most, and it's so fascinating because because they pick a side character, his turmoil, like his struggle as a character is so much more interesting because he's not James Bond just trying yeah. to, like he still has love interests. Like he still fulfills a lot of the roles yeah. of the genre, but he has like almost none of the dapper suave, you know. Real quick, for those that don't know the plot of yeah. the conversation, can you tell us what the conversation is about? Well, as I said, it's about a conversation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's about a conversation. And he, Harry Call, uh, Gene Hackman's character, is kind of the head of this surveillance group. He's his own private, they never say PI, you know, but I mean, he's kind of his own part of the lore of the movie or part of the, you know, his character is figuring out what the heck his background even is. People are always yeah. asking him, tell us how you did X. How, how did you do this? Yeah. Who were you working for when you did this thing? And he basically tries to deny all of it. At one point, one of his coworkers, I guess I'm not doing the high level summary here, but it's like <laughs> his background of being from New York isn't even revealed until kind of halfway or late in the movie. Yeah. So anyway, that he has... Uh, He's been, pay, you know, hired to surveil this conversation between these two people. And we really only have that context for almost 30 or 40 minutes of the movie. Yeah. The opening yeah. 30 minutes are pretty slow because they basically open on this iconic slow zoom down from like up high to the square where the people are walking. And then we just see them being surveilled. And then... Yeah, his his magic is that he's kind of got he's got this little caged lab, basically a workspace yeah. where he then takes the different microphones and blends together to try and this is really what I love about the film, Brandon. I know I'm taking a while to get the you're fine, you're fine, get the setup here, but he he is kind of this mad scientisty sort of person where what the beauty is we don't really know what they say in their conversation. That's the whole point yeah. of the movie. It's the mystery. Is it the MacGuffin? I don't know, Brandon. I mean, I yeah, I uh, that's a good question. I mean, it is what motivates Harry's character. Yeah, the the conversation does. It the the conversation does matter to an extent, but uh, yeah, that's a that's a valid point. I don't I don't entirely know if if because MacGuffin's yeah. kind of the thing where it's like. It motivates the care, motivates the plot, but doesn't mean really anything. Right at the end, it's the microfilm in North by Northwest or whatever. Right. I so I was trying to think. I was trying to piece that out last night as I finished watching the movie. I rewatched it. Anyway, so so he he gets the recording. He, his job is to kind of mix the audio to try and find like a blend of the different microphone recordings to piece out what they've said, and he can't really figure it out. And uh, one of his character things is that a coworker is like, 
you know, who's paying for this? Who are these people? This is boring. Why should, you know, he's yes, curious. He's, he, yeah, yeah. He, John, John Cazale, who plays yeah. his co-worker, is like trying to like, I guess he's in this mundane, boring job. Yeah. And he's like trying to create, oh, what's the backstory here? Yeah. Like, let me. Get, what it's, did they it's, do? It, what do they do? Yeah. Like, give me something that I can like, that motivates me in a weird way. And yeah. Harry's like, it's the job. Yeah, it's the job. Just I'm not it. curious. He's yeah. basically been burned in the past. Yeah. Right? That's a, that's what we get into kind of in that next 30 minute block is kind of like, he's got like a past that we don't fully yeah. understand. It's his birthday, which is kind of a strange little thing, but it's a way yeah. to basically show that he doesn't want people to know basically anything about him. He's no. He's, yeah. He's uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that when we get the favorite scenes. Cause that was, that was one thing I really loved as like just a character intro. Um, so you said you, you'd seen it before and you rewatched it last night briefly. What were your like initial thoughts in this rewatch? Like, how do you feel about this movie now? Yeah. After do revisiting we, it? do we need to give the full, are we want to, do we want to spoil the whole movie? Like, cause basically have set up the job. Uh, no, no, you're spoiling it. If you guys, I, as I said yeah. before, you can stream it on prime and canopy. Yeah, You should stop. If you haven't seen yeah. it and you're listening now, don't do that. We're going to we're going to give the game away here because, OK, so he, he has a recording. He tries to figure it out. And then basically the rising action, the second act is him disregarding his own advice and trying yeah, yeah. to figure out what the hell is going on. And do the scenes that light this movie on fire are Harrison mm-hmm. Ford showing up <laughs> and basically like following him around. He so yeah. that's the thing. That's the hook of this is basically Gene Hackman's character starts being followed. And dude. The scene where he, uh, Harry Call, Gene Hackman is at a surveillance convention and he's playing around with the surveillance camera and he's turning it around and he sees himself and he's just sort of playing with it. And then all of a sudden he turns it and he sees Harrison Ford, who he knows yeah. is looking for him. And they kind of had yeah. this encounter. Wow. It's electric. <laughs> it's electric because Harrison Ford does, in some sense, like so little in the movie. He like, does. Yeah, for yeah. his, you know, I don't know what viewers seeing this in 1974 would have felt but like this is packed with some pretty big hitters and the cast yeah. is tiny it's gene yeah. hackman uh harrison ford's in there robert duvall shows up late yeah. as this mysterious kind of director character so anyway he's followed he doesn't really understand the game and uh what i mean as he gets like extremely obsessed. He figures out yeah. that there's a murder that's going to take place and he goes, <laughs> it's kind of strange, but he goes to basically be near it to prevent yeah, it, I, to prevent it. Like it's unclear I, his, his motivations yeah. behind it. Yeah, I, I agree. He's horrified by the idea of his work. There's a dream sequence where he's worried yeah. that his work will cause more people to die. Cause that, that ends up being his backstory. Uh, that he's done work in the past that caused people to be killed. He's horrified by that. But then, spo- uh, you know, spoiler, a murder <laughs> happens, and he there's this strange impressionistic sequence where he's in a, in the next door hotel room, blasting comics, you know, uh, you know, children's shows basically, and then. I shouldn't have watched this last night by myself, but then ultimately the most unsettling part of this film is him then going and finding basically evidence that the murder did take place. Cause he's, yeah. un- he's uncertain. Like, did it happen? Was it in my mind? You know, was it something I was yeah, yeah. sort of hallucinating, which is kind of a big question. Right. So here, here's, here, here's my, here's my 
it's a little different what we're, what we're just talking about. But here's my hot take on this movie. I'm gonna sure. say, I don't know if it's hot. It's not. It's not blazing. Get the gloves uh, out. Get the gloves. It's hot. Well, it's like I. It's kind of what you said about the cast. I feel like if you want the best glimpse of 1970s American cinema, this is the movie to watch. Wow. Because when you look at the cast and crew and the themes and techniques of the movie, mm-hmm. it's everything that's explored in the 70s and in, in like the new Hollywood movement. So, because I'll, I'll read off kind of the cast and crew to introduce you guys and kind of what Ben's been talking about is like, you have Coppola. So right there, you got the Godfather one and two yeah. and Apocalypse Now in the seventies. Which Godfather you, Part you, Two came out that same year? Same year, and it kind of and it overshad it overshadows yeah. this movie basically. Yeah. You have Walter Murch, yeah. who who was this was did worked did sound for American Graffiti, and did sound for THX and co wrote it with George Lucas. Yeah. Um, you have Harrison Ford, who is in Star Wars. Um, but he's also in American Graffiti, which also stars Cindy Williams, who plays one, who plays the woman who's in the couple at the beginning in the long shot. Mm-hmm. You have John Cazale, who's in Deer Hunter and Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, the the DP is Bill Butler, who shot Jaws and One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest in Greece. You have Duvall, who's in Godfather, MASH, and Network. You have Terry Garr, yeah. who's in Close Encounters and Young Frankenstein. Uh, you have David Shire, who does the music, who does all the President's Men. You have like the Catholic guilt yeah. that runs through the character of Harry yeah. Collins, very prominent in Scorsese films. Yeah. You have this Hitchcockian suspense that's very prominent in like the films of Brian De Palma at the time. It's a character study, which is isn't really. It's basically 1970s, and not much of that in terms of character studies like this. San Francisco's a big location in the 70s for films, yeah. and Gene Hackman, who's like it's he's Popeye Doyle from French Connection. So like you have like when you look at every major film or person in 70s cinema in America, it's kind of all represented here in some way. Yeah, and one name that you missed, which I don't fully understand the history of this but cinematographer haskell wexler yeah. is listed on imdb as uncredited dp <laughs> which i'm gonna whatever. get i'm gonna get into that we're gonna get i'm, I'm gonna get into okay. that on okay. uh, a little bit later because there is some backstory with that it's just yet another name that the yeah it this movie is stacked and the crazy the crazy crazy thing is that when the credits roll i mean i was just sitting there i remember this the first time i saw it it's just how few actors are in this thing and yet yeah it feels really big like that's the yeah, thing that's does. so you know confounding about storytelling and films is you have these other films in the genre that are just gargantuan you know literally filmed all over the yeah. world you know massive scenes massive set pieces and somehow like this movie carries a lot of that same gravitas and like suspense and tension and turmoil and it's like this could be a student film as far as yeah. size of cast you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? yeah. and and really and like location and locations yeah 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 they have a van they have a warehouse like <laughs> when you really kind of go through the list of things there's no big he's got an apartment it's very yeah. small it's a very small <laughs> film it yeah, just it's, doesn't it's feel like, that way. Yeah, when you look at, I mean, you could honest. I ha, I didn't count up the locations. I would say, and this is generous, at max fifteen locations. Yeah, at max, because you, yeah, the big, the big set pieces. It's the opening shot, the yeah. opening scene at the at Union Square mm-hmm. in San Francisco. 
um, and then this this the security convention, mm-hmm. and those are your kind of two big, like large set pieces. Yeah. The rest are like like you said, like in rooms, they're hotel in, rooms. They're in, they're in the hotel room. They're, they're yeah. This guy's office in in a, in, a, in an office complex. Yeah. Uh, Nondescript like, in all cases. Yeah. Like just yeah. like <laughs> you could be in any yeah. office building. You know what I yeah. mean? There's just nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so it's it's interesting. Yeah. It's it's a very. I, I was watching. It was, it's the scene. It was the scene when he's in the hotel room. And he's like trying to listen in next door, and he's mm-hmm. like drilling the hole in the wall yeah. and flushing the toilet to hide the sound of the drill. And I was just like, "Yeah, this could be just like an indie film nowadays. Like oh, you sure. could shoot this. Like you could shoot this in a very like get a few sets and you're done." Well, I I think that that is like a very inspiring part of the of the film to me. Again, it's just like as a as a I guess just a big fan. Like the the allure of like. You could really tell a story. You could really make a movie without sending Tom Cruise to space. You know what I mean? You don't really. I mean, that's actually... that, that's a. I mean, that's that's fine. You can do that. Uh, <laughs> I'm so excited I'm, for Tom Cruise to go I'd, to space. I'd, I'd I'd pay for that. Um. So also too with the conversation, which I think is very important to talk about, is like what was happening in the world mm-hmm. at that time. And what I thought, what I didn't realize until rewatching it this time, was I always thought this was a reaction to Watergate because it's like, Oh, it's the seventies and Watergate's happen and Nixon's resigning. What you end up finding out is that Coppola actually wrote this before any of that happened. Wow. And it came out, the movie came out, uh, it was may it he production had wrapped, uh, before all the stories started coming out in the Washington post. And the film came out like four or five months before Nixon even resigned. Wow. But people thought in the moment, oh, this is him. This is Coppola, like, talking about what's going on. When in reality, he was like, I wrote this in the 60s. What an incredible turn of events. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, yeah, so it's released four months before Nixon resigns. And, like, you're having at the end of the 60s and 70s, like, the public is beginning to question the government. And surveillance was something they were becoming more aware of. And you're seeing that in films to the point, like, the conversation like uh, Alan Pakula's trilogy of all the president's men and Clute and parallax view. Uh, we talked about three days, of the condor uh, last week. Uh, even, even other like kind of detected films, like ch- detective films, like Chinatown or night moves were like, everyone's questioning who can you trust is the thing. Mm-hmm. But brief history of how this film got made. As I said, he wrote it in the sixties. Uh, he came up with the idea Coppola did when talking to Irvin Kirshner about how surveillance was becoming a business and Kirshner would end up directing Empire Strikes Back. Coppola said the idea stuck with him, and then he saw Michelangelo's Michelangelo Antonioni's blow up, which is about this talented photographer who believes he actually captured a crime happening in one of his photos. And so Coppola wrote the script in the late 60s, and no one wanted to make it. Uh, and then Godfather was a huge hit in 1972, and then Paramount agreed to make the movie. Uh, and as I said, the film tends to be overlooked because it was the same year as Godfather Part Two, and also as you said too, this is a, a little bit jumping ahead. Like Merch was so heavily involved in the post production of it that Coppola basically went off and shot Godfather Part Two, and and uh, Merch just like ran, had free reign to do whatever in terms of editing and uh, sound design, which you know just tying together some of Merch's other work. This this film to me as like you know 
years ago, I spent time as a full-time editor. This movie feels like it's made by an editor. It does yeah. because his and and not just not just his character, you know, in editing the tape, the attention to detail about what that sort of feels like. This is me, yeah. you know, superimposing my experience onto it, but but the the sound and the music and the way mm-hmm. they overlap and interweave, it's incredible. Because basically, as he's editing the tape, you're hearing it, and he's trying to find it and hunt for it, and he's playing it. It's one of the few films where you hear this damn conversation like six <laughs> times. And it's not always some big reveal or like pivot, although sometimes there is. Yeah. It's kind of like you're you're put through a little bit of the <laughs> you know the hell that is yeah. doing this thing over and over and over and sort of having it get into your head, you know. Yeah. There there's a way in which this conversation sort of takes over his psyche a little bit, you know what I mean? And that yeah. <laughs> if you've edited, you know that like you kind of start to see and hear the things that you've been watching and hearing it, over and over. Yeah. It is a very personal film in that way, yeah. in terms of like a filmmaker, right. where you're seeing the actual like hands-on experience of like taking the the audio and and cutting it together, or like trying to clean it up and doing this, and like you're having these sequences of Hackman like at the table working, mm-hmm. like an editor would be working at that point, like on a movieola or something, yeah. like editing a film. And so it's very like Coppola is very interested, and you could probably argue Merch is the, in terms of editing, but like very interested in like this guy's work. Mm-hmm. Like this again, we're looking at the side character in in a Bond film, and we're seeing his the most exciting part of his day is probably cutting is cutting audio and like mixing the audio. That's his like big thing. Well, and and I yeah, I think the comparison is worth making to be very clear, like. Again, if he's like if if Harry Call, if Gene Hackman's character is a side character in most spy movies, right? Yeah. The the other way to say it too is that typically the like techie things, like this is especially uh-huh. true of modern films, right? Some of the James Bond movies where there's like hacking. There's hacking. Yeah, yeah. And so they like press a button and then do 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 do, you know, like things happen. It's so clearly just like broad brushstroke to the point of laughable that it, it yeah it doesn't add much to the story it's just like we know we need a tech thing whereas like yeah. even this like main still that they use on letterbox is him putting the Drill, the microphone yeah. through in the bathroom yeah. they show that process and it's a hundred percent believable and him editing the conversation is again a hundred percent believable because it's it's basically I mean, I don't know exactly how they constructed it, but it, it's real. It's like it's yeah. real audio, real mixing. Like you believe, and it's sent like the complexity of the problem. I know I'm kind of stuck here on a little small point, but like <laughs> the complexity of the problem and his inability to like solve it instantly with the press of a button is central yeah. to the story. Yeah, it's, it's actually one of the hurdles in the film versus almost all of these modern films almost without exception, it's just some like, oh, we put the chip in the thing and then the space station rotates. And like, it's just, it's written by, it's written by crazy people. Yeah. It's the enhance. Yeah. Enhance. Enhance. Right. Enhance. Like that's a point too on the enhance part. We're like, so when he does the tape originally, he, he actually, 
this is a question. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. But like, is Harry actually good at his job? Is the one question I have. Well, that Ebert Be- review is pretty. Yeah. 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 Well, because so for example, he does the tape, and then he's going to go turn in, and he's supposed to turn in directly to the director, and he's so like private. Harrison Ford comes as oh, I'll just take it. He goes no, 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 no. I don't know who you are. Like, I'm giving this, and then he sees the people at the at the office that he recorded he's like oh something's up here and then he goes back and listens to the tape and realizes he forgot to like fix a part of it yeah like it's 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 like it's like oh it didn't we couldn't fix it oh i will just leave it in there mm-hmm. and it's probably not that important and so now he's like well let me go back and actually fix this yeah cuz he thinks like oh what are is something here they like cuz to him He's never really listening to what the conversation is about. Exactly. And in this moment, he's like, oh, what's actually being said here? And he goes and, and he, he, tra- he cleans up this this specific audio line. Mm-hmm. And it's by it's Frederick Forrest who says uh, he'd kill us if he got the chance. And, and I made a note here from watching it last night. That doesn't happen until 40 minutes in. Yeah, it's pretty far in the it's movie. Pre- <laughs> the, the opening, for I think for a lot of people, like, we should be clear. I, I guess if you've made it this far, hopefully you've seen the movie. <laughs> but, like, if you're still here for some, you know, broken reason, the first 30 minutes of the movie, you're kind of making a bet that something's going to happen because, like, <laughs> there's not a hook. There's not a real clear no. hook. And no. this is the first time that there is a hook. And I yeah. think that that is... Again, just fascinating storytelling because, again, yeah, like you said, he's not listening to the conversation. And so we kind of as the audience are also just like, I don't really get it. Like, there's not a lot of reason to care about this. And he's really (laughs) bland. Like, he's extremely unrevealing about himself. And so there's just not a lot pulling you into the movie. And then all of a sudden you're, dude, you you catch the ski lift (laughs) and this thing starts going. (laughs) The last 20 minutes are nuts in comparison to the first 30. I mean the first 40 minutes and, and i guess we'll get into this with like favorite scenes the first 40 minutes is just character building for for harry yeah like that's what that's what was so like interesting to me and i kept right oh this is a great intro to this character and so like favorite scenes for example one scene i love was when he's coming home to his apartment mm-hmm. and he uh he comes up and someone, the a lady who's walking by is like, oh, happy birthday. And he's just like, oh, like, thank you. He doesn't know how to react because yeah. he's such this socially awkward person. Yeah. And you're finally seeing him in like in with other people. Mm-hmm. And then he goes upstairs and the first thing all done visually, he has three locks on his door. Mm-hmm. And it's just click, 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 goes in, shuts the door. And he sees a bottle of wine on his floor. Well, and he and has an alarm system. A, a loud alarm a system. Loud. How do you live in an apartment complex with that? I don't know. But yeah. 
Yeah. And so he comes in, he like gets the wine. And the first thing he does is he sees the wine, turns off the alarm, goes to his phone and calls the person. Hey, how'd you get into my apartment? Cause they, cause like they left the bottle of wine for his birthday. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, well, how'd you get to the door? Why do you have a key? How'd you turn the alarm off? Oh, okay. Just by curiosity. How old am I? Like, he's just like, he's he's like oh well give me the key back i want the i don't want anyone to have the key yeah and someone says like oh well if there's a fire well if there's a fire i'm okay with it to burn i have nothing that i want no it's a fascinating line to yeah. introduce a character because it really is yeah. the first we've heard him that phone conversation again a one-way si- yeah we only yeah. hear his side only his side and his yeah. line is just perfect because he is basically yeah. like i have no personal possessions i don't care if it all burns <laughs> Yeah, that's basically what it is. He's just like, screw it, don't care. Which is not, you know, this is cliche in the modern sense of like basically McConaughey, you know, walking into an empty apartment with just literally nothing but a yeah, box. true detective. Yeah, yeah and just true like detective. pictures. On, it's not like, like that. He has pictures on the wall. He has yeah. art on the wall, and he has. It's clear he does have some things. He's got, yeah. and he has a saxophone. He starts playing a saxophone. And he's got music, and he, you know, he's made his own amplifiers. It looks like, but he puts on this, you know, he's got this iconic jacket, raincoat yeah. thing in the movie. Yeah, the raincoat that is so. Dude, the number of times visually we uh-huh. are looking through some sort of opaque, like plastic, yeah, frosted yeah. glass. His jacket. There's a ton of beautiful motifs around, like just opaque like inability to really see something fully like it's an incredible visual motif uh in the film Uh, yes this is harry call from upstairs uh uh, yes well thank you very much thank you Uh uh-huh yes well you're you're really very nice yes Uh, but i know uh (laughs) Yes, I found it, yes. But what I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, how did you put it in the apartment? Uh-huh. Right. Well, what about the alarm? Oh, you did? Well, uh, yes, I thought I had the only key. Well, what emergency could possibly... All right. Yes. See, I I would be perfectly happy to uh, have all my personal things burned up in a fire because I I don't have anything personal. Nothing of value. No, nothing personal except my keys, you see. Yes, which I I really would like to have the only copy of, Mr. Van Mr. Van how'd you know it was my birthday? No, I, I don't remember telling you. Would you like to take a guess how old I am? 44. Well, that's a very good guess. Miss Evangelista, uh, as of today, my uh, mail will go to a post office box with a combination on it and uh, no, uh, no keys. Goodbye. Also, another thing I love, when he goes to see Terry Gar, who lives in the same complex as him, and it's kind of like his love interest like he goes down there to to see it's this weird moment where he's like he comes home and he stops at the stairs 
and waits and then just like walks in like just quick like rushes into her apartment do they live in the same complex i don't think they do because she says where do you live i thought no i think they do i thought my uh, from memory it's like he gets on a bus to go see her really okay i i assume i'm just like it's a weird it's weird because it's kind of unclear i mean he's he's like I, he keeps telling people throughout the film like i don't have a phone and then yeah. he does have a phone. He has a phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like he doesn't want her to know where he lives, but it sounds like she kind of like you're like I understand why I, you're saying what you're saying cuz she kind of seems like she knows. Yeah, I assumed he lived upstairs cuz like how would they meet otherwise is kind of how I'm feeling. Well, like there are a couple times in the film where it's basically that she always waits for him and has no idea when he's going to show up. When he's going to show up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which becomes a thing like you know he's trying to talk to another woman like what would you do if this was you know yeah the thing and she's and like well she, how would i know that he loves me <laughs> and he's just like oh crap because this at this yeah. point and that's the other thing too with this movie too with that relationship with terry gar we're like yeah. we're catching the tail end of it yeah. they have one scene and she just says and this is the beginning she goes Hey, like, if you're going to keep being this way, because she's asking just like simple questions about his life. Very simple and questions. He's just, about and he's his just life. like, he's just like, I'm out, I'm gone, I'm leaving. Yeah. And she's like, Hey, like, I've been waiting for you every night. Like, I don't want, I don't want you to come back again. Yeah. And I can't keep he, waiting. I think is what. Yeah, she I can't said. keep yeah. waiting. And yeah. and that's it. That's that's all yeah. it is. You never see her again. He Did, never has a. He call, he calls her multiple times, but her phone's not not listed now. But that and that scene also adds a little bit to that paranoia that's prominent in his life because she's singing the song that Cindy Williams is singing on the tape. Startling moment. And you're just like, oh man, what's about to happen here? And his reaction is I mean, Hackman is incredible in this movie. It's a it's a role that I, I don't know that a lot of people would jump at, right? Because it's very understated in a lot of places, especially there's some yeah. loud, you know, his competitor uh, guy. Bernie. Yeah. More Bernie Moran. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he's in your face. You know, he's intended yeah. to be. Uh, and some of the other characters, like they're pretty big. And he is just constantly like very like he's trying to hold it together. One other note on his thing, his performance, I think is fascinating. So he's got that moment where he reacts to her singing and he just yeah. freezes. He just yeah. freezes in place. He's like, "Why are you singing that?" And, and but he doesn't really get into it. And it's just his face says everything. And then even when they break up, and he's kind of standing in the shadows, hesitating. We don't yeah. get a big moment from her or him. It's just a small hesitation, and then he's just out through the shadows. Yeah. Like it's 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 very lightly played. You think you're gonna catch me at something? <laughs> you know, I know. What- when you come over, I can always tell. You have a certain way of opening up the door. You know, first the key goes in real quiet, and then the door comes open real fast. Just like you think you're gonna catch me at something. I even think you're listening to me when I'm talking on the telephone. What are you talking about? I don't know. I just feel it. 
Really, I do. It's pretty. But he's got a thing, especially late in the film, he's got a way that he walks. He's got this jacket. He's got a way that he walks where he is like hesitant. Like there's just, there's a hesitation about every movement he makes that is, uh, it's beautiful because it's not some like tick. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not crazy. It's not, it's not over the top. It's this very little thing, but he's constantly kind of walking and then like, you know, eh, eh, did I, <laughs> are we sure about this? <laughs> yeah, it's he's it, he's a character who's who's constantly unsure of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like he there are a lot of moments where like someone does something and he has to stop and think about it. Yeah, it's the when that happens. It's when Bernie puts the pen in his pocket at the yeah. security convention it's it's the things where he's like stopping and thinking and then kind of just moves on from it which it's is even but he he really like stares down at it yeah. for a while it's a strange yeah. scene yeah so that that moves on to my next part cuz you're yeah. talking about security convention with with Harrison Ford tracking him i said i love the scene when he's looking at himself in the camera cuz mm -hmm. it's it feels like when i watched this time it's like this feels like this is the first time he's seen himself in a long time yeah, like, I don't know if he owns a mirror. I don't know if he looks himself in the mirror. Yeah, but like the way he's—it's also like, oh, he's seeing himself the way he looks at people. Yeah, he's seeing, and he kind of like makes a little of adjustment on the camera, like mm -hmm. with his with his like face, or kind of like like steps up a little bit. And it's and he keeps looking back to like, oh, this is this is what I look like. But the other part, the other scene I really love, and it's it's one of the bigger sequences is when he brings everyone back to the lair, mm -hmm. when he brings all the security people back to the lair, which my first question was like, why would you do this? Cause you're yeah. a character who doesn't really trust anyone. And now all of a sudden you're bringing back like four or five security guys. Yeah. And this person who's probably a prostitute is what it kind of is like. Oh, yeah. hinted, hinted at. Yeah. She's a prostitute oh, sure. that Bernie pays for. But like, this is also the the once this part really got me. Bernie's character, played by Alan Garfield, who I think is phenomenal in this role, who only has like two scenes, but he's this like pompous guy who's always he he knows he's number two. Yeah. At best, he, he knows it. he's number. Yeah. yeah. He's like I'm number one on the East Coast. Harry's number one on the West Coast. That's his way of saying. I'm I'm number one in my place, but I'm still number two in reality. And like I say, he does say it, but he's always just like, I'm not saying I uh, I I uh, I had a t had a hand in the presidential election of 1960, but you take your conclusions because he's saying like I was like taping yeah. a prominent uh, political or presidential uh, nominee yeah. from a specific party, and he's just like he's very much throwing his stuff like oh like I can I can figure out everything you do. But how did you do this one thing? Tell me. And that's and this is where yeah. you start finding out more about his backstory. So you find out about the people that died uh, on a job that Harry worked on back in New York. And that's when John Cazale, who's like probably Hackman's closest friend, yeah. is like, I didn't know you, you worked in New York. Yeah, the and story just, is 
brutally kind of thrown back in his face. Yeah. He doesn't want to hear about it. Other people are curious. And another thing that happens a little bit throughout this movie, there there are other moments like this. The reveal of the story is told off camera and we're just following Hackman as he's emptying the trash, like through a fence. It's in, it's a, there's a, there's mm -hmm. other moments where like Duvall later in the film, he's like, your yeah. money's on the table. Duvall yeah. doesn't have a single that's no. tied on his face. Like your money's on the table. It's off yeah. camera. It's yeah. just a throwaway from a side from, Freaking Robert Duvall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's in like, who's in like that scene? And, and and I think you get glimpses of him. And yeah, he's in the uh, hotel scene. Yeah, his dead body's in the hotel scene. Just to, yeah, you know, you hear. see him. Get, you see him get killed. You see him get killed. Yeah. Uh, I know. Uh, another part again about just the care the character of Harry. He the one time, the one big time Hackman or or Harry lets his ego get the best of him and kind of shows emotion is in that layer scene mm -hmm. when John Cazale's like, Oh yeah, we did this job. Here's, here's what we had to do. We had two people who are moving in the square yeah. music. We, uh, how do we, how do you get their conversation? Yeah. And Bernie's like, Oh, easy. Uh, put it on their clothes. Like I get, know what they're wearing. It's like, Oh, do this. He goes, can't do that either. And he goes, Oh, I would do like, four put like four microphones and harry comes out from behind just goes yeah. i did it in three yeah and then all of a sudden starts saying everything he did now it's yeah. just like oh no this is gonna i don't know how this is gonna go you're yeah. starting to reveal stuff and like what was so like, i was like what you had over this guy was that you're mysterious and he couldn't figure you out mm -hmm. and now you're literally telling him how you did this thing well and he's got like microphones that he developed and he's like i would yeah you know he kind of shows them through the fence and he's like uh, 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 i'm not gonna let you have these and yeah. the other guy's like no 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 we can make a fortune like you make the stuff i'll yeah. manufacture it and all this. you hire a lip reader with binoculars no. the client wants their actual voice why so we can believe it right all right i'll figure it out i uh, i don't know it must have been an expensive show huh who was so interested in it? yeah it was it us who's us Federal government. Private party. We take at least four passes. I did it in three. Three? That's very nice, Harry. What do you use? Yeah, three stage directional microphones with MOSFET amplifier of my own design. Then we got another 20% conventionally. I'm just tailing. Paul did. It's beautiful. It really was. It was a work of art. You should have seen it, though. These new microphones are just incredible. They really, I, I couldn't really believe it myself. We were over 200 yards away. We, that was absolutely readable. Every, every, I broke in a couple of newsreel cameramen. And uh, you should have been there, Bernie. It was really... What did they do? Well, they, they took the crosshairs of the telescope. They lined it up on the mouths. No, the... the boy and the girl. What did they do? Oh, I don't know. But it was really beautiful. Really something to see. Yeah. Sounds very pretty. I'd like to take a look at that mic, too. Uh, there it is. <laughs> well, we said we should be partners, Harry. I mean, I mean, I always said you're the best, right? But you and me together, that'd be tops. All I need is a quick look at some of your plans and devices, you know, just to, just to get an idea. I got all the manufacturing plans. We can make a fortune selling stuff to Uncle Sam, Harry. Yeah, it's a fascinating... Um, it, it's sort of like a dinner party thing. You know, it's yeah. like a pretty standard group film scene. 
but the yeah. turns that take place within it there's a lot it, there's a lot because he comes yeah. in it is kind of unclear why he brings them back to the lair it's not really explained but yeah. they're drinking he's you know sort of semi heartbroken i guess it it was yeah. his birthday or yesterday was his birthday or today's his birthday like there's kind of this confluence of things where he's he's kind of clearly like just shuffling along pretty down yeah his his and- friend has converted to the dark side right his, yeah his co-workers left him it, it is very much like he wants to be around people yeah uh, he's a character who do, who's socially awkward but like i feel like he's like i need to be around people like the, the best example of that visually is the yeah. scene with the woman in the lair where she's kind of yeah. got him like pinned up against a pole yeah they walk away is, from everything yeah yeah and he is the entire scene sort of like adjusting to like almost slip away like the thing about his character the way that hackman plays him is you can imagine especially now you know 10 different actors playing it nine out of ten would play it as like a q tech nerd yeah just awkward beyond belief yeah and he is not it's not sort of thrown away so quickly i don't know how to describe it exactly but yeah. He's not the stereotypical nerd as we think of them no, yeah. today. I don't know today, what it played yeah, yeah. like then, but like he's just like kind of yeah, it's like he is almost behaving like a 16-year-old that doesn't know how no, to be is. around women. But yeah. then he but then he's this grown man who's you know. Yeah, it's just, it's a very interesting like it's he I'm not saying he's internally. yeah, it's he's a, he's not a he's not a man child. Yeah. But there are like hints of that it's the moment when the murder happens where he's when he's outside and the bloody hand comes on the balcony like window and he the first his first thing is go in shut the door hide under the covers yeah is what he does it's a very weird reaction very because he it's like and i think i think that's when he turns up the music or turns up the cartoon or the 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 cartoons cartoons, just turns them up and then hides under uh hides under the covers like he's a child yeah it's just a it's a weird it's a weird reaction well you gotta remember it's a strange short moment but there is a dream sequence yeah there's a dream sequence where he is talking to who he thinks right is the potential victim who's going to be hurt by his work and it's this foggy distant like shouting thing where he's like he starts to actually it's the most we find out about him he's like yeah. when i was a child i had what paralysis of the left Poli- po- I think polio i thought is what it was yeah basically he tells the story of like he basically drowns in the bathtub while his mom goes yeah. down to the front door and He's like, I remember the terror of like the water going up to my chin and my nose. I mean, it, it's a crazy. Yeah. Uh, he's got a couple of these little anecdotes, these little stories that he tells that are, you know, deeply scarring to him. They are, they define him. Yeah. They're his character things. And they just says them. I know you don't know who I am, but I know you. There isn't much to say about myself. I... Sick when I was a boy. I 
was paralyzed in my left arm and my left leg. Uh, I couldn't walk for six months. One doctor said that I'd probably never walk again. My mother, my mother used to lower me into uh, a hot bath. It was, it was therapy. One time the doorbell rang. She went down to answer it. I started sliding down. I could feel the water. It started coming up my chin and my nose. And uh, when I woke up, I, my body was all greasy from the holy oil she, she put on my body. I remember being disappointed I survived. When I was five, uh, for, uh, my father introduced me to a friend of his, and for no reason at all, I hit him right in the stomach with all my strength. And, uh, he died a year later. Uh, he'll kill you if he gets a chance. I'm not afraid of death. Yeah, I I think he he is Harry Call is one of the most tragic characters of like 1970 cinema. Like his character yeah. is just like it's like everything he believes in is confirmed because he lets his guard down. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Every time he trusts someone, yeah. they screw they screw him over. Yeah. It's the it's the prostitute who's like she like he lets her in, they have sex. Next thing you know, she stole the tapes. Right. Or uh or it's he brings up these uh these people to his lair and Bernie ends up embarrassing him in front of everyone right. when he like uses the pen. Um any other favorite scenes you wanted to bring up, Ben? Um favorite scenes. I mean, there's there's some really I mean the ending we haven't discussed at all. The ending we is We haven't discussed. I will Here's the thing. You sent me that list. I picked this movie cuz I was like, god, this movie's incredible. But first time I watched this movie, I mean, I I don't like suspenseful, scary stuff. I just don't. I've settled yeah. into it. I don't apologize that much for it. This movie has a shot in that sequence at the end where blood is gurgling out of the toilet from from this like murder scene and it confirms his worst fears and the way they shoot it. It's some of the only handheld work in the movie is him like staring at this toilet. It's it's really like amazing filmmaking because it's, it's literally just a hotel bathroom and they build up this, you know, this, the music is perfect. Yeah. It, and I was like, the first time I watched this movie, I was like, I never want to see that again. I never want, because it's so scary. It scares yeah, yeah. me. It scares me. The blood on the, all of it. It's crazy. Um, and then, of course, I watched it here alone at the house last night. And, <laughs> and you're like, oh, no. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I th- I think that that's like to to go from the opening of the movie just the pace and the like, oh, there's not a lot really happening here to the finale is yeah. an incredible, incredible journey. Um, I, I think probably my favorite scenes are pretty simple, but it's probably that convention scene with the camera yeah. or yeah. some of the scenes they are a little bit, they're straight They're They're, they're lit in a way to be almost overly dramatic, but when he tries to turn in, the tapes mm-hmm. and Ford gets them and they tussle and yeah. then they, he kind of follows them through the hallways and he's watching him from the elevators. There's a couple times they do that. Yeah. I think that 
is it's simple, mm-hmm. but it it's really great. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, so on set life, this is to bring up the Haskell Wexler thing. Well, wait a minute. What's your what's your favorite? Scene? Oh, I mean, I talked. We talked a little bit about. I talked about like the uh, uh, the security convention, yeah. the opening, the ending is a very like just a, a complete downer ending. <laughs> like it's just it's just like he he and the question is this is the one big question that kind of came up in my research with this is is he actually being recorded by someone or is it on his head yeah i mean the dream sequence and the murder his response to the murder and the way that it's portrayed with the like blood flowing out of the toilet yeah i mean it's intentionally walking a fine line where you're like is he crazy yeah <laughs> you know, yeah that's he doesn't know we don't really know i i tend to think not i i yeah i, I, I think tend it's to yeah. read the film more as like no the bad guys win yeah like the bad guys win that's just it so he's being recorded and he's just like i gotta find this bug let yeah. me tear up everything in my apartment yeah to find this bug he's ripping the walls off like you're seeing the wallpaper from previous tenants it's like it's 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 really just like he's tearing everything apart and then it's just like screw it let me just play my saxophone yeah and then it basically can't find it yeah i mean he's he's taking the phone apart and testing the components in the phone you know like and also we're talking about another scene that like kind of like got me too you're talking about how he reacts to something it's because he's always said i don't have a phone i don't have a phone and he calls me. Oh, we'll call you. We don't have my number. And the mm-hmm. next scene, he's in like the bathroom. And it's a wide shot. Yeah. And it, the phone rings, and you just you yourself feel like you can you can imagine him in the bathroom being like, "What?" Yeah. And you he see kind of a, you see you see a shadow a little bit in the doorway where he's just like turns the water off. It's still ringing. The phone. And we don't see the phone either. The phone is in a yeah. drawer. Yeah. So it's like it's kind of echo. It's like it's kind of like muffled. It's like a yeah. muffled ringing sound. And then he slowly walks to it, opens the drawer, picks up the phone, and it's Harrison Ford mm-hmm. on the other end. That thing is like, is Harrison Ford a real character? That's like it's like because he's always just popping up in weird places on the phone at the security convention. Like, is it in his head? The only time you see forward with another person i think it's the end mm-hmm. uh when he's like with cindy williams who is part of the couple uh because because hackman thinks she's gonna be killed that's the whole yeah. thing hackman thinks she's gonna be killed by her husband but he in terms of the kind con- like the actual conversation it's all about him misinterpreting the conversation mm-hmm. he is he reads it as two lovers who are going to get together ha- or, and continue to have their affair at this hotel, have sex. And the, and he thinks the husband's going to show up and kill them. They never say that. They just never say that at all. Like it's when you read it, you're like, Oh, at the very end, you realize, Oh wait, they're not talking about having an affair and he'd kill them. If they found out, if he found out about it. they're playing on killing him to so they can keep ha- so they can be together. Mm-hmm. It's just a very like there's so much in this movie that's just like layered throughout. Yeah, and and I I misremember I misremembered um from for, you know the first time I watched it like 
I thought that the last time he hears the conversation, it becomes super clear, like that they're like, no, we got to murder him, mm-hmm. you know. But really, all they ever say is just that line that we know from the middle that it's like yeah. he would kill us if he got the chance, which they mean we have to kill him first, basically. Yeah. And we don't. So there, it's it's not actually you're right. It's like it's not that the conversation it's not that he misses something exactly. Mm-hmm. It's that it just it does have another meaning. And he he took the wrong one, which we yeah. were led to believe as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Harrison Ford being real. I th- I think he's real. I mean, he's there with the role. Yeah. You know, he's playing the audio true. to Duvall in the office. Um, he's he's creepy though. Like Ford is weird in the movie because he mostly does nothing other than like stalk. Yeah, Harry. Harry. Yeah. I mean, literally just follows him. He's like, <laughs> like when they when he's when he sees him at the convention, Harry gets in his face like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "I'm not following you. I'm just here." Like it's. He's playing yeah. it off as as this just this thing, but he's on the, he's always on the phone, creeping him out, creeping us out. <laughs> yeah, just like oh yeah, or and he's and he's the voice you hear at the end was like yeah, we're listen, we're, wa- yeah. we're 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 watching you. We're watching you. I think that the ending of the movie, just thinking about scenes, like you're left not with the murder as your final thoughts of the movie. You're left with his paranoia. Yeah, and it's. I think that's really probably the thing that makes it feel so perfect for its time and for now is that sense of like, I mean, because you think about him ripping up the walls, being surveilled in his home. I mean, without taking this too far down a hole, I mean, you can't do that now, right? You can't take, some people try and do this. I know tech people who, you know, they have, I mean, they don't really have like an Amazon Alexa or something, but they they try and like disable all the microphones and all yeah. the things, right? And that's just not real. You can't do that now. My TV remote has a microphone, my phone, my laptop, everything. People have, I mean, they're, yeah, anyway, everything. <laughs> Everything's listening sur- to us. Yeah, 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 ubiquitous surveillance is its own podcast thing that, but whatever, this this film is great because because of its time, like it, I don't know. There's, I love the analog nature of it all. Where like even at the security convention, they're like pitching a phone recorder where it's like we can dial and it'll pick up the phone on the other end and you can record. And it's just yeah, with a harmonica tone. You just blow a harmonica into yeah. it. It's <laughs> it's like adorable. It's just so cute to imagine a world where you have to have a harmonica to start surveilling. It's just not like yeah. that anymore. It's like a. This is this is sort of like a organ trail, like you know, uh, very old school pickaxe sort of surveilling, where you got to really do it the old school way, you know. Last thing I'll bring up too about the layer thing, uh, when he lets them all in, it's the part when Bernie, I think it's Bernie, uh, but Moran, I'll say Mor- Moran is his last name, when Moran like reveals that he was recording Hackman or Har- Harry the entire time. Yeah. Or it's like, let me let me play it, and it's it's this very like embarrassing moment, and he's of course playing the scene where he where he was like confiding in the in the woman who was with him, yeah, about Terry Gar's character, right, and 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 Mor- Moran's just playing it for everyone, like ah, oh, it's a funny joke, and it's yeah. and ha- to Harry, it's like, oh my god, how did I let this slide? I left yeah. the damn pin in me. 
Because I feel like he realized the pen was recording him when he first saw it. Yeah. Which he's is why he looks. Yeah, he's suspicious of it and then just forgets all about it. But yeah, he's he's sort of drunk or yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. It's like every again, every time he lets his guard down this movie, his his worries and beliefs are confirmed. Someone does something to him that makes him realize this is why I'm like this. This well, is why and, I don't say anything. Yeah, and a really strange juxtaposition that comes just after that is he then kicks everybody out. And he goes back to the workbench to keep working on the conversation, the audio. Yeah. And this other woman who's been part of the group, she stays behind to, I mean, what we find out, intentionally seduce him to mm-hmm. steal from him. Right? Yeah. It's unclear who's paying for it. It's ultimately the tapes get back to Harrison Ford. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's sitting there working and she's like, dragging him away to have sex and they basically i mean she yeah it's a weird sequence because... well yeah she has she has a great line of like it's it's the job like when he's like worried about what he's doing yeah. she's like it's it's the job yeah it's it's a really strange thing because because they basically like through shadows and like a little bit of light have you know it's it's like we know what's getting ready to happen but as all that's taking place visually we're listening to the conversation yet again yeah yeah, and it's sort of like, I mean, he's he's not present with her. No, he's totally in the conversation. It's a fascinating sequence. Started this conversation anyhow. You did. Didn't know. Yes, you did. You just don't remember. Pretend like I just told you a joke. <laughs> 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 Where'd you hear that? What's well, my secret? Later in the week. Sunday, maybe. Sunday, definitely. Jack Tar Hotel. Three o'clock. Room 773. Look, Mark, do you see him? The man with the hearing aid, like Charles. Where? Right there with the shopping bag. He's been following us all around. He's following us close. That's nothing. Don't worry about it. When the red, red robin goes by, So on set life. Okay. Original director of photography, Haskell Wexler, who had shot Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in the Heat of the Night and later shot, or was later was shooting Days of Heaven, was fired during production because of the creative differences he had with Coppola. Wow. Wexler apparently wanted to look more romantic, while Coppola wanted a more cinema verite style, like fly on the wall. Uh, they brought on director of photography Bill, Bill Butler, who later shot Jaws, to shoot the rest of the film. They reshot everything Wexler shot, wow. except, except the opening Union Square scene, because it was too expensive. Wow. So and then a year later, Butler would also replace Wexler again on the set of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because he had created differences with Milos Foreman. So <laughs> there you go. I, apparently Wexler, I mean, I think it was a great DP, but apparently these two occurrences, they didn't Coppola and Foreman didn't get along with Wexler. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's so with that, with that he shot the union, the opening sequence maybe that's why it feels different than everything else it does yeah yeah and so and but it keeps getting brought back up when you see the conversation played 
Mm-hmm. So it's this interesting thread where like it feels different because it was shot by a completely different person. Yeah, and I I would say you know it doesn't feel out of left field. No, it just had it. It is the grandest of all the sequences by far visually. I mean, there's just a lot of like really cool angles and the the opening zoom is the iconic bit. That's fascinating. I didn't realize that they replaced him because the rest of the movie, like especially the interior of his apartment, right? I was thinking about Mm -hmm. this. Almost every moment we see him inside his apartment, he's internally framed, right? It's a small space, but they make it even smaller. When the phone's ringing and he's in the bathroom, we're not in the bathroom. He's a shadow on a door through another opening. You know what I mean? It's like he's like three layers deep away from us. And they do that several times where it's like, um, yeah, it just it makes a lot of the film feel even in his lair, which is in this huge open floor, mm-hmm. kind of like Enemy of the State, which we'll talk about later here. But <laughs> you know, it it still feels tight. A lot of the yeah. movie feels really kind of suffocating, even at the convention. Big open space. It's not shot that way. It's like no, you know, pretty crowded pretty, and cramped. Yeah, that's fascinating. I agree. Uh, Coppola said a few things about that. Uh, Coppola said it was one of Gene Hackman's hardest roles to play because at that point in his life, Hackman was a very outgoing and talkative person. Uh, he was also in some of his, the best physical shape of his life, but because of how introverted the character was, Hackman wore ill-fitted glasses, grew a pathetic mustache, and wore clothes that were 10 years out of style. Coppola said that he was that Hackman was somewhat moody and irritable on set because of this character's personality. Yeah, the score, which I think is phenomenal, like mm-hmm. I love the the jazz score in this movie. The score by David Shire was actually composed and recorded before shooting took place. Amazing. Coppola would play the music to the cast to help them with the scenes before they shot them. Amazing. That that is incredible <laughs> because the music is beautifully placed. Yeah, you. There's no. That's incredible because some of the some of the cues. I mean, I guess it makes sense that they're shooting with it in mind. I mean, some of the cues for when it comes in. Someone on Letterbox said like, if loneliness had a sound, it would be the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> is, I agree. It's a great <laughs> review of the movie because the the music comes in and you're just like, oh no, but not. You know, they have there's some music cues around that murder at the end. They're not using it frequently in sort of a suspense way of like you know yeah, yeah. don't turn that corner it's not, it's not yeah like it's that. not jaws it's, just, it's not jaws yeah it's like oh god this this is just so sad <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's again yeah the, the score is great yeah. uh it's but it's yeah i was i was like man this this jazzy score is just man i feel like i just like i need like a bottle of bourbon and something yeah. like just to just to drink my sorrows away yeah with this yeah don't don't watch this if you're like alone <laughs> and real sad like covid this might not be a great covid movie <laughs> or it might re-rush. be the best covid movie it's one or the other it's one yeah. or the other it's either yeah. sums up your life or and that's why it's so depressing yeah. um real quick awards and aftermath we'll talk about kind of the effect here but uh the film only received three oscar nominations when it was released best picture best original screenplay and best sound it lost all three wow what won best sound because like the sound is i mean 
No, it, I agree. It, it lost to Earthquake, the movie Earthquake, like the natural disaster movie. I, I mean, that's a travesty. Okay. <laughs> that's why I thought I was like, how did it lose best sound? Earthquake. Uh, the best picture nominees for this year, Godfather Part Two, which one? Mm-hmm. Uh, Chinatown. Uh, Lenny, starring Dustin Hoffman, which we talked about previously, Thomas Down, uh, Bob Fosse episode. And then uh, The Towering Inferno and The Conversation. Those were the five. It's a tough year. Yeah. Best Actor, which Hackman was not nominated for, by the way. Wow. Pacino for Godfather Part Two, Nicholson for Chinatown, Hoffman for Lenny, Albert Finney for Murder on the Orient Express, and Art Carney for Harry and Tonto. Can you guess who won, Ben? I should... I should know this, but you sh- you shouldn't know this. Actually, you shouldn't know this. Oh, I mean, I would say it'd have to be Chinatown, Nicholson. Nope, nope. Art Carney for Harry and Tonto, a movie I haven't seen. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. But I'm just judging on terms of importance of what we talk about in like cinema. Sure. For one, I've seen Murder on the Orient Express, and I do love Albert Finney. I would knock off Albert Finney and put in Hackman in this category. Yeah, hands down. Uh, also released that year, Francis Truf- Francois Truffaut's Day for Night, John Cassavetes' A Woman Under the Influence, Scorsese's Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles, which got a couple of Oscar nominations that year, and Brian De Palma's The Fan of the Paradise. The conversation made only four point four million at the box office, off a one point six million dollar budget. Not a failure but a disappointment compared to the Godfather's 81.5 million during its initial release. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, as far as, uh, okay. I love this film. Uh-huh. I, I picked it from the list again. Like yeah. I was like on a large list of spy movies. This is the one. Yeah. And it's not a comfortable watch. Like I, I watched it for this to talk about it, but it's not a. Comfort- I just don't. I just don't. I just don't pop in the conversation for my day. Like in my day, like that's. You just watched it for this. Sorry, keep going. No, I mean no. It's 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 the sense that this is not a feel good. This is not fun. This is not James Bond. You know, and it's not. Uh, you know, a Godfather like big epic. You know, there's not this. There's not. There's really not a lot of like conflict in some of that sense. There's no, yeah. you know, the violence is just startling. It's not sort of. I mean, the bit, the most jarring part, the I, I think the most terror, or the, let me phrase, the most shocking part is that that the shot of the bloody hand yeah. on the balcony, where it just, I think the, even the music comes in, like yeah. it's a very like it's a jump scare. It's a jump scare, and it has a dream nightmare quality yeah. to it where it's like, oh, God. <laughs> this is, again, this is not the thing to watch before you go to bed alone. Well, well, real quick, you want to talk about how this affected other movies, correct? Is that what you said? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think, again, it's like this amazing analog time of technology where you can kind of understand the things they're doing, you see his process, it's three microphones, he's playing them back. Like, it's all Mm -hmm. very comprehensible to us. And then, you know, obviously the sort of like spiritual sequel to this movie is Enemy of the State with Will Smith. 
And Hackman basically is his same character. Like there's almost a sense Somewhat. that yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's almost a sense that he's like been in hibernation and like is returning for that movie to like you know help yeah. out well they, um, and they they even use like pictures of him from the conversation in enemy of the state oh wow that's what they you know, they use like of his younger self they use pictures from the conversation wow yeah i mean it, yeah it's clear it's a like a lot of it the lair like the caged you know yeah. area that they work in and his paranoia right i mean he's like they're you know they're listening and but you know that movie, I love that movie as well. But again, it kind of gets into this like modern era where it's like it has the enhanced thing, right? It has moments where they're like, now rotate the camera that we don't have with this 3D approximation of what got put into his bag. I mean, it's cool and fun and sort of like, boy, that would be cool if it was true. And maybe it is. But it, it quickly... I guess from a like storytelling and also just like individual, like I'll say it this way as a person, when mm -hmm. you watch the conversation, what are you, if you don't want to be him, what do you do? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you don't want to end up being paranoid. You want to trust people. You also probably don't want to become a spook. Like, you know what I mean? There's like some sort of, small actions you can take with in yeah, yeah. state it's much bleaker in like a systemic way that mm -hmm. there's like and we see this with snowden and some of these other like modern things where it's like no you have no chance <laughs> like it, <laughs> it, it really is it really is kind of the star wars you know stormtroopers everywhere <laughs> do you know do you know what i'm saying yeah, like, yeah, I, I understand. I, yeah, yeah. i'm sort of overplaying it a little bit but it's just like there's there's a certain sense where if if you really were enemy of the state, you know, yeah. in these modern tellings, it's just not possible. It's just not. It's just not real. Unless you, like, you you go live in a cabin in the woods and have no communication with anyone. Yeah, and even even then, I mean, I'm not trying to be super <laughs> bleak, but it's just like you know, you don't have to read super dystopian reporting or yeah. watch super negative documentaries or anything like that to just know that like the game has changed and what i'm trying to say in particular is like the ways in which we can understand it as everyday people is mm -hmm. kind of beyond storytelling in a simple film because mm -hmm. it is so complicated and it's so big and this movie the conversation is like kind of this throwback to a time when it was understandable. There was a yeah. person surveilling another person yeah. using tools we understand. And yeah. now it just doesn't work that way. No. It just doesn't work that way at all. There's like seven layers of data collection <laughs> and this and that. I mean, I, I'm not trying to go down that path. I'm just saying this film is a really cool time capsule for that. And yet it still contains the paranoia that is relevant today. That's what makes this film so unique in terms of it's very much up, excuse me. It's very much of its time, but still captures the same paranoia we had the day about surveillance. Mm -hmm. It's just now we're not being, like you're saying, we're not being surveilled by a person. We're being surveilled by a government or a corporation or whatever, mm -hmm. in terms of where we're going, what we're looking at, what we're watching, what we're listening to, everything's being tracked. 
to and and what's so what's interesting is is I, I read one of the articles we talked about like how this movie couldn't be made today in a way because in a way we, we're now all aware of it or mostly aware of that we're being tracked in some way. Mm-hmm. So the paranoia, it's it's we're not really finding out we're being tracked. We're yeah. we're aware. So the paranoia that Harry has in this movie probably wouldn't be present today. Well, and I, I think there's a there's another layer which I, I want I'm trying to piece out to say that there's there's fewer people. Like mm-hmm. there is not a Harry call, there's not a Gene Hackman over your shoulder, Brandon. Yeah. Like listening with microphones. There could be. It's not to say that they couldn't happen. It's just there's not really a need for it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's because we have all sort of mostly fallen into a world in which we just turn on the microphones for, for like for free, like for Facebook yeah. or whatever. You know, we're just like, sure. Yeah. I love an Amazon Alexa in my house. Turn on whenever you like. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to sound like a crazy old man yelling at the clouds, but it's just that there's a there's just less. You couldn't make the movie because of your point about yeah. like no one would be particularly startled by the paranoia. But there's also like just not as many characters to hang your hat on to mm-hmm. have some sort of like there's there's not a lot of turmoil for someone who is the Harry Call like character because they're probably a person sitting looking at code or writing code yeah. or servicing a, a server farm in Utah that contains, you know, petabytes of data and you happen to be one of those little bits like that's not a great like i'm not pitching you on a great story right now (laughs) it's the truth but it's just not that interesting it doesn't grab us and and there's something incredible about that where it's like his paranoia without being the old man yelling at the clouds his paranoia is mostly real now i know Mm -hmm. that's we can debate that i suppose later on twitter (laughs) but like his paranoia is mostly real and yet like we kind of like you said, we're not shocked by it, and we kind of can't grasp it in a way that we can do much about it. We can kind of yeah. be like, oh, yeah, I shopped for a thing on Amazon, and then Facebook advertised that to me on Instagram. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, just like, <laughs> it's just like, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you have to wonder, like, are we are we crazy? Like, are we... Like, if you were really going to be bothered by that, do you have to be Gene Hackman and rip up your whole house? Yeah, and just like get get rid of my computer, right? Not not just tape up my camera, but right. tape up everything. <laughs> right. uh, so m- moving on, we talked about it a little bit just now, but briefly, what worked about this movie? <laughs> oh wow, I, I feel like I feel like I just hit on what I think is really great about it. Is you know, it's. Uh, it's the attention to so much realistic, believable detail with the sound, yeah, with the sound editing, with the way that he himself is editing. I mean, there's very few uh, meta moments like this mm-hmm. in film that don't feel forced. Like, yeah. hey, look at me being a filmmaker. Like, I made a character who's also a filmmaker. It's not like that at all. And yet, it is this capsule in time when people really did splice tape together and sit yeah. there and you know i think that's fantastic the the cast is fantastic there there's a believable turn like mm-hmm. a startling turn there's a ramp of 
energy and emotion and freakiness that yeah. is kind of unexpected and amazing. Um, yeah, and I, and I think if you've seen the movie, there are images in it that you will remember, you know, for a long, yeah. long time, which is not yeah. true of many films. I agree with that. Uh, did anything not work? There, there are part. I mean, thinking about Harrison Ford kind of like stalking him, like or like holding the elevator. There's some shots where they have like some really over the top lighting. Yeah, like he's he's this ominous, foreboding thing, which he is. Um, you know, it, it is kind of the first forty minutes is kind of a you you got to buy in, <laughs> you know, because it's just not it's not entirely clear. I think it's kind of brave ish i think most yeah. filmmakers now would be pressured to and he may have been at the time to really like why the why the hell make, are we make here? something happen make yeah, something what, happen why are we watching this you know he should be he should be like chasing after them trying to get the recording of them as they're like running away or something yeah you open with he's gonna kill us or whatever you don't wait yeah. to reveal it like yeah um i don't think it's bad i just i think uh for some viewers i i I noted the time you know what i mean i did know the time that it took to kind of get to that reveal i was like wow that's that's surprising that's that's far you don't really do that 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 kind of happens in blow up i will say that and i'll stop there because i don't want to spoil blow up for anyone that wants to go watch that alternate universe cast so hackman was not the first choice oh wow in this movie coppola originally wanted marlon brando to play it sure but brando didn't want to sure so Hackman kind of felt uh-huh. like, because I read an interview, he's like, yeah, he goes, I love that movie, but I was also the, the second choice. Like he was aware, like I wasn't the first guy to, that Coppola went to. Yeah. I don't, I, mean, I don't, I don't know. And I love Brando. I don't see Brando in this movie. Yeah. That might be just Coppola totally in love with Brando for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Brando could play a sensitive character and an introvert. I've seen him do it, but I just, I just don't see it with him, and in this particular movie, I I see it as Hackman. I I don't like Hackman is is perfect, and even though it's very different for Hackman, it's Mm -hmm. a very like introverted character. Uh, Film facts. Here's here's gonna blow your mind, uh, Ben. The initial cut for this film was four and a half hours long. Wow. The biggest subplot that was cut out was that Harry Call owns the apartment building he lives in. And he had multiple conversations with people who live in the apartment. And one was about like one he had with like a lawyer to talk about like the issues with the apartment complex. That's strange. (laughs) I think it's a better movie without that. Oh, I agree. There's also a scene where he tries to convince his niece not to run away from home. It was played by Mackenzie Phillips, who was also in American Graffiti. Yeah, I I mean, I guess Coppola just loved to write. He just had a lot he wanted to say. Because this is under two hours, I think. It's just at two hours, I think. Yeah, the so they, they, cut, yeah. They, they, they cut a whole movie out. They cut yeah, a whole movie like out. It's like or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So they, cut, they basically yeah. cut out a whole movie. Uh, Coppola says it is his favorite and most original film he made. Wow. Uh, Hackman also said it was one of his favorites, if not his favorite film he made. Gene Hackman learned how to play saxophone for the movie. Wow. A lot of the surveillance equipment used in the film was the same equipment used during Watergate. Wow. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, 
roll the dice, live your life <laughs> ten times, and tell me that you're the guy who writes a surveillance movie before Watergate. <laughs> wow. And gets everything right. Yeah, apparently that he was yeah, we found it out through like technical advisors and like just research of like what they would use if they were doing that. Which quickly though, that goes back to that sense of believability. I think yeah. that's where this is we're talking about this movie because of the spy genre. Yeah, like, yeah, this is a movie that is almost entirely 100% believable. Very yeah. few spy movies, not all, but <laughs> very few yeah. fit that. I mean, you know, the what the man who came in from the cold, right? There are spy who came from the cold, spy, yeah, yeah, spy who came in from the cold. I watched that a couple months ago. Like, you know, there are low key non James Bond spy movies that you can yeah. believe, but this movie really again does more because it's not just a web of complicated people. There's technology and things that you're like, again, you believe mm -hmm. this, you believe that it's real because it is. Yeah. Uh, last part on film facts. This might change your opinion of Ford. I'm not entirely sure. Harrison, uh, it's allegedly, I'm not entirely sure if this is true, but this allegedly. is what I found out. Allegedly. This is my favorite word now in this book. Allegedly. Yeah. Cause this is what I read somewhere on the internet. Harrison Ford's part was initially a cameo, but Ford still wanted to add more to his character. He envisioned him as gay and bought an expensive suit that he thought this character would wear based on that choice. Coppola disliked the suit, but talked with Ford about the idea, liked it so much he expanded the part, giving him more scenes and giving him a name. Yeah, he feels, his character feels more like a presence than yeah. a character. And so I, I yeah. get, that makes a lot of sense. What are you doing here? Take it easy. I'm just a messenger. Brought you a drink. I don't want you to drink. Why are you following me? I'm not following you. I'm looking for you. It's a big difference. How'd you know I was here? Oh, it's a conventional wiretap, Mrs. Oh, excuse me. Surveillance and security technicians. It was a snap. Look, I'm telling you, I'm not giving those tapes to anybody but the director. Yeah, I know what you told me, Mr. Carl. All right, what's the message? We want you to deliver the tapes on Sunday at 1 o'clock. The director will be there. He'll accept the tapes from you in person you tell him i'll think about it moving on to story questions real quick only have one where's the bug at at the end of the movie yeah i mean it sort of plays to his thing of being the best yeah how can the best not find it i don't know yeah. coppola has two ideas oh wow one it's delusion huh the other idea the saxophone sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's because appa apparently that's actually a thing that happened to someone was that they put devices in musical instruments. Yeah, the 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 stories I have uh, just genre wise, I've read uh, a couple spy books uh, <laughs> lately. It, you have there's a <laughs> there's a lens of the world that you have to have <laughs> that is just so dark. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you just don't uh -huh. trust anything. Yeah. I know that you guys talked about that last episode, but uh, you don't even trust your favorite instrument. Yeah. Yeah. You can't disassemble enough things to yeah. find the invisible microphone, I think is kind of the point yeah. of that last scene. But you could argue the saxophone is the only thing he actually, like, cares for. In the yeah, world, sure. it's the sure. saxophone. Yeah. That's why he doesn't break it. Yeah. It's the only thing he cares for. Um, awards. I don't, Ben, I don't know if you know, we do this now. We give awards to people in the movie. Oh, wow. At the end of the show. Uh, the Beatrice Strait Award. Beatrice Strait, Ben, was the, uh, won an Oscar for Network with only like nine minutes of screen time. 
Wow. So this is this is for the actor or actress with limited scenes, like the smallest amount of scenes that kills it. Who do you, I got one nominee? Oh. I got a couple nominees because there's that so many people slay. in here. Yeah, like one or like a couple, like just a couple scenes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the cast here on on IMDb. I mean, I think that um, what is it, Elizabeth McRae? Okay, the prostitute. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm going with Alan Garfield who plays Moran because he's only in like three scenes. Yeah, he dominates for the little bit that he's in. I I don't know if I consider him a supporting character as a thing. Because I feel like he's not in enough scenes, or he's not in that many scenes. Would you agree? Because we have also a supporting actor category. Would you throw him an actor with limited scenes or supporting actor? He's limited scenes. I mean, because I don't know. I mean, uh, John uh, Cazale, right? Yeah. He he's in more because he's in the opening. He's yeah. He's got a couple moments. He's throughout. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, I think you're right. I think Alan Garfield. I mean. I almost didn't pick him just because he seems so anchored in the movie, but you're right. He really is just there for a small, small bit. It's like security convention, layer scene, that's it. Yeah, and he disappears. Yeah, so he actually, this is the sad part of this, he actually passed away in April due to COVID-19. Oh, wow. At 80 years old. Wow. Uh, so yeah, but he, I think he's phenomenal in this film for the limited time. Anyway, the president is Teamster Local. Back east set up a phony welfare fund, right? I mean, you correct me on the details, Harry. I may be a little fuzzy on them. There was only two people that seemed to know about it, the president and his accountant. They only talked about it on fishing trips that they went on. On a private boat. That was the only place they talked details. And that boat was bug-proof. I happen to know that for a fact, Harry. They wouldn't even strike up a conversation if there was another boat even on the horizon. That didn't stop Harry, though, did it? No, he recorded everything. Nobody knows how you did it, though, Harry. Caused a hell of a scandal, too. Why? Why? No reason. Three people were murdered, that's all. Harry's a bit too modest to tell us how he did it, though. Uh, had nothing to do with me. I mean, I just turned in the tapes. President thought the accountant had talked. Yeah, nobody really knows for sure. No, that's right. Three days later, they found the accountant's wife and kid. They were all naked, tied up in the house. Hands and feet, tied up with rope. All the hair on their bodies shaved off. Their heads were found in different places. They killed them? No, no, they gift wrapped them. <laughs> no, 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 this is uh, ancient history now, Harry. How'd you do it? What they do with the tapes in their own business? It's the first time I heard about you, Harry. Next thing I knew, you moved out of New York. Had nothing to do with me. Come on, Harry. Show and tell. How'd you do it? The Joe Pesci X Factor Award for supporting actor and actress that is the most memorable. My vote's John Cazale. Yeah. I, I think it's a more nuanced performance, and it's not very showy. Mm -hmm. But there's something about it that just really works to play off the Hackman character. They play off each other really well, and in particular because, I mean, think about it. You know, Hackman is very, I mean, they have they have one iconic fight, iconic. Mm -hmm. I don't know, big fight yeah. in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And and then really the way they both play it, you know, because they all basically just sort of packs the stuff up and goes home. But he yeah. doesn't. 
you know, he doesn't go down that like, fine, I'm taking all my stuff. You know, it's they're yeah, yeah. both they're both very you know ref, you know constrained, but uh, but it's great. So yeah, I think so. He's great in it. There's a wonderful scene between them two. It's at the convention. When ha- yeah. when when you find out Kazale's working for for Alan yeah. Garfield uh, Moran now, and you have that they see each other, they don't really react, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna get a drink," and 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 Harry's like, "Let me go talk to, uh, let me go talk to him real quick," because they haven't seen her since since he just quit, and Hackman wa- Hackman walks up to the counter in front of Kazale, and Kazale like. Pro- tries to ignore him like yeah. shuffles away like only two feet to not like to not be in his line of sight and mm. it's just almost it's almost like a weird like it it's the closest relationship harry has had the entire movie well and there's a little thing they're doing together too where hackman's sort of like tapping on the counter like kind of trying to like almost touch his hand yeah like, it's they're almost like you know they're trying to make peace yeah. But even beyond that, they are kind of, they're both hurt. And it's beautiful. It's really, it's, it's you know, they're yeah. kind of just two dudes who can't look each other in the <laughs> eye. <today. laughs> they're just like, I am really sorry. It's not like romantic, but there's yeah. something just like, Hackman knows he, he needs him. Yeah. Not as like a worker, but like, this is the only guy I let into like my world. And this that was is fine just with. after Hackman has basically lost his girlfriend. Yeah. You know, so it's like he, yeah, he has a kind of almost pleading yeah. aspect to the scene that you don't see him do anywhere. No, um, not the rest of the yeah. time. Since when you were from Iran, Stanley? Since yesterday. Listen, that, that wasn't serious. It was just a stupid argument. I, I wasn't it, Harry. It's just that I figured it was time I move up. That's all. No, I stand. I don't want you telling anybody any of my things. No, that's not ethical. There's no that much you ever let me in on, Harry. Maybe that's the problem. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you along faster. I'll show you some of the stuff. You won't show me anything. Keep it all to yourself. You know damn well you will. Oh, really? I stand. Wait a while. Will you think about it? Don't do this to me now. Some guy's following me. Something to do with the assignment last week. I don't know what it's about, but, but I but I don't like it. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks, Dan. Final award we give out the Gene Hackman MVP award. <laughs> Should it go to Gene Hackman? <laughs> I think so. The person who carries the movie could be a director, an actor. I, I mean, I, my, my, I think it's Gene Hackman. I think that I think Gene Hackman <laughs> gets his own award. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It's the first time Gene Hackman has won the Gene Hackman Award. Wow. Uh, I agree I'm completely. Sure we should tweet at him and he would be like, what? Gene, Hack- the- Gene Hackman does not have a Twitter. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> he does not have a Twitter. That man is like late 80s, early 90s. He's <laughs> off in New Mexico right now. Like just like staying quarantined and like just staying warm. That's what he's doing. OK, final questions. If this film was remade today, mm. who, who do you cast? Oh boy, Brandon, come on! Um, I have two picks. Okay. First pick. Yeah. You can you can hate on these. 
one I think you will like, but we'll see. Okay. I mean, I'm going to say something that you will just laugh at because it's who I'm going to pick for everything. But go Matthew, ahead. Is it Matthew McConaughey? Is yeah. It, McCon- okay. <laughs> oh, man. That wasn't my pick. But there is one you'll like that pick. I don't, I don't see McConaughey, but okay. I know. I don't really either. Uh, uh, Michael Keaton. Yeah. Maybe a younger Michael Keaton. A younger Mike Keaton. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. Maybe, I don't know. He, he works older. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> he is still working. As an older he's still person. working. But he, he just he, I think he could play the this like the the constrainedness of it that we haven't really yeah. seen. Like he, he could play like this introvert character. I don't know. Uh, the next one, this one, I think you might. We'll see what you think. But it's one of your favorites, Michael Shannon. Oh my lord, he <laughs> would destroy. Oh wow, Brandon. Yeah. I because I, I, you could see him playing this like socially. I mean, he's played it before. Oh, he's like yeah. so socially awkward like very wow. interest like in, in, inside himself he might be too much <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I could, you would have to whereas hackman has to be kind of like dressed down you yeah. kind of have to pull michael shannon back towards but like, i could see michael shannon being very like this this like calm character throughout yeah and then that layer scene when he like finally kind of like three, I use three and starts going off on what he did. I mm-hmm. could see Michael Shannon doing that where he's like, yeah, been holding everything in for, for like until he can't hold it anymore. God, man, he would. <laughs> could you remake this movie now? I don't know. Michael Shannon would be incredible. Here, here's the thing about this movie too. I think that it's a little surprising that we haven't seen some again, like enemy of the state sort of clearly makes reference to yeah. this movie. I don't know that that many people have seen this movie. Do you know what I mean? I Just agree. based on I its agree. box yeah. office and like, yeah. I don't hear many people talk about it. Uh, God, that sounds like I, I'm the president now, but uh, <laughs> people are not talking about it. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I I think it's incredible. And it again, the technology has changed. You could still try and tell the story in basically the same way. I don't know. It's surprising that we haven't yeah. seen. I, I think the I think the hard part is that people now have to put on such a huge scale yeah. of like it's the government, it's this. Yeah, yeah. When the conversation, it's not about the government. No, exactly. Yeah. It's it's a it's. I mean, like I said it's kind of a PI story where like yeah. he's just tra- doing getting audio of like possibly a a husband's cheating wife is what it yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a very I, simple thing. You're right. I think you know i haven't seen all of the movies that have tried to do the big scale but there's there's been quite a few there's what like black hat and eagle yeah. eye and like yeah you know there's been several I mean, yeah. yeah snowden, snowden the, yeah. Yeah, yeah they've tried to like they're everywhere you know they they're doing the big ominous thing and i just don't i mean you heard me earlier as an angry man yelling at the clouds but like <laughs> angry old man but i just don't know that those connect with a lot of people because they're yeah. sort of like well yeah sure what are you gonna do like what's the what's the story i, I love that this this episode has prompted a spinoff show of Nation called angry old man yelling at the clouds that's yeah. the title star or, or hosted by ben gertz yeah i'm gonna watch <laughs> movies that people have all seen years ago and i'm gonna watch them for the first time after brandon recommended them five years ago and oh yeah i'm gonna be like ah this movie makes me angry Although I love this, this movie, or this movie's wonderful. Why hasn't anyone seen it? <laughs> yes, there you go. People I'm mad at you about this movie. Uh, uh, two more questions. Does this film fit with any other genre? 
conspiracy thriller like yeah i mean it's it sort of plays in that like thriller ish but but the opening doesn't (laughs) does not at all and and you don't know that there's really a conspiracy until halfway into the movie so yeah yeah the last question is how does this film fit within the spy genre yeah i mean the other film that we haven't yet mentioned that is very much a, a relative like a cousin of this is the lives of others yeah right which I, I watched four or five months ago based on, I think Thomas, Thomas said, yeah. was like, watch this life-changing, incredible movie, incredible yeah. movie. And it has that, it has the similar setup of mm-hmm. person surveilling, listening yeah, yeah. to the lives of others, right? Uh, <laughs> all right. I love how that simple in- the titles are. That was insightful. I, I think that, you know, again, from the list on Letterboxd that you have, right, the, the genre is dominated by much bigger predators, right? This is this is a tiny little dinosaur that goes around and is beautiful and wonderful mm-hmm. and people should appreciate it. But there's a freaking T-Rex that is James Bond and... You know, Ethan ter- Hunt, yeah. J- Jason Bourne. Right. They're, they're massive. They take up most of this landscape. But I think this is... Again, this is the movie I picked off the list because I like some of those other movies a lot. I'm a, you know, I've watched all the Born movies basically other than the one without Damon, whatever that one's called, Born Legacy. Yeah. Anyway, um I I, I like the genre. I do like the genre. Yeah. I think this fits really well in the genre though because it contains those core things that you guys were talking about last episode, right? It has a betrayal, it has yeah. Who do you trust? It has a love interest, which is basically a failed love interest. Yeah. Like, and it also, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit too with the Ebert review talking about how, is he really good at his job? Is Gene Hackman actually a good spy or is he just, is everybody kind of like playing him up a little bit? Is he playing his own, you know, uh, you know, is is he self-aggrandizing? But uh, thinking about how modern Bond films represent Bond, where, there is a human, you know, fallibility to it all, right? Where it's yeah, like yeah. It, it's a big, a bigger shift that's happened in the last four or five Bond movies, right? Where it's like he actually feels pain, yeah, he can yeah. actually get hurt, right? And Hackman actually gets emotionally hurt. I mean, he's not really in danger mm-hmm. in the movie, but like he's he's real. You feel yeah. like he's a real person. I, so I think it, um, and it has surveillance. Like you know, uh, it's, I don't know if that's really central to the genre but i mean he is spying on other people i mean he is yeah. literally a spy so it's, yeah um, well no, and again like again we're saying like we said earlier it's like he is a side character in a yeah and tinker terror soldier spy or yeah. uh, a jason Bourne or a mission impossible like he's someone who's like we're gonna bring you in for a few scenes and you're gonna surveil people and the other thing is too with, with modern movies this character is comic relief. That's the other thing that we didn't discuss. Yeah, exactly. Is that usually this is a character. It's it's Jack Black and Enemy of the State. It's like Jack Black and I, yeah. I can't remember who the other guy is. But like it's like it's the funnier guys. It's the the character actor. Like in Donnie Brasco, it's like Paul Giamatti. Yeah, this for whatever reason, uh, and I I guess it's because it works with yeah. audiences. But yeah, the tech nerd person, typically a guy almost always the guy is yeah this comic relief goofy non doesn't know how to talk to people 
you yeah. give him the microphones and he comes back with the enhanced recording or whatever yeah. and it's they're kind of funny magicians yeah basically that we don't understand and i you know as someone who could potentially be lumped in as like a a nerd uh mm -hmm. you know i i think it's i think there's more there i'm I, i'm a person too i have a heart <laughs> there's i have things to give the world brandon no i i think i think a modern remake of this film would be very much in danger of adding some yeah. of that to his character to where he's kind of a napoleon dynamite funny-ish thing and i think that would just sink the ship so yeah badly. It'd, it'd be an awkward funny this is yeah. like this is like a i say it's a very tragic awkward like it's yeah. just like you feel for this guy the entire time yeah and you're and again i keep saying like at the very end is that all of his worries and beliefs are confirmed which i i think if you introduced just even a hint of the of comedic into his character there would be almost no no sense yeah. of sadness for him you just be nope. like well of course we're laughing at him like yeah what you know boo-hoo for him he's just a <laughs> moron you know what i mean like I, I yeah i agree yeah maybe i don't want this movie to be remade because i don't, don't know that, don't remake it no I one remake that it. you could avoid that i think every <laughs> studio exec person would be like you know what make, if what if he's a little more like jack black yeah it, it, this would be a comedy nowadays this would like they would it would, it would be a comedy yeah wow <laughs> well sad, luckily but... i hope it never happens uh ben any final thoughts you want to say on the conversation before we leave today uh i think we've very very thoroughly covered it i think it's uh it's nice if you've made it all the way to this point in the <laughs> Well, and I mean, haven't and haven't watched the movie yet. We're sorry. And, you know, likely you're someone who has seen it and you want to rewatch it. The fact it's on Canopy, uh, Canopy's great. Uh, my public library pays for Canopy somehow through taxes that I pay. I guess you should. Yeah, yeah. you should pay taxes and tell your library to use those taxes for Canopy. It's great. Yeah, not, not Prime. You're like not don't don't use Prime. Well, well, Canopy. Well. Canopy's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so guys. Next episode, we're talking about Mission Impossible Fallout. Ben will not be there, though, but it's going to be a good one. I would send you a message, but it'll self-destruct before you read it. Oh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys. But yeah, we're continuing our spy month um, with Mission Impossible Fallout for next episode. Make sure you all like and subscribe to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you give us a review. We haven't had a lot of those in a while. And I want to hear what you guys think about this new, it's not new format, but, but revamped. Love the revamp brand. Co COVID, COVID it's format. Great. I'm glad we were able to focus at maybe people are pulling their eyelashes out, hearing us rant for something about one movie, but I love it. I love that we got yeah. to really dig into this. Dig so. deep. Yeah, it's great. But yeah, make sure you give us a review, give us a rating, like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and look at our stuff on Medium. Yeah. I think that's all, Ben. Brandon, that's great. Ben, thank you so much for coming back on. I hope to have you back on soon. I love the idea of coming back on soon. That's so, <laughs> it warms my heart already thinking about it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.